Welcome to A Wild New Work, a podcast about how to take wise, soul-centered action in your work life and in your organization, all based on the wisdom of nature. I'm Megan Leatherman, a career coach, mother, and amateur ecologist living in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm your host today. Hi, friends, and welcome back to this sweet little podcast and the community that surrounds it. I'm excited to share some thoughts today about uh, the zodiac signs of Taurus and Gemini, you know, the earth element and air element to which they correspond, and then this really beautiful, rich period of mid to late spring. And today I want to talk about something that we are so hungry for, I think culturally and collectively, which is healthy expertise and wisdom. There is so much noise, so much static around us in our culture, and this mid to late spring transition can really teach us about how to touch down into the knowledge and insights that are sturdy, you know, the insights that can take us into the height of the growing season this summer and fall so that we're not wasting time on all of the, you know, chaos and messages and just, um, kind of overwhelming noise that surrounds us and uh, is vying for our attention constantly. So I'm excited to share some of these uh, insights with you and, and notice, you know, you can notice sort of what lands and what resonates the most for you right now. If you enjoy this episode and this topic, you may also be interested in our course in Cedar Lodge, which is called Becoming Wise at Work. And it's about embodying a healthier connection to your career. And there's uh, two more weeks of that course um, that are, it's free for the community members for two more weeks. So check it out if you would like to. Um, But if you're not already in Cedar Lodge, you know, I encourage you to join us. We move through a monthly topic together, whether it's a course or discussion topics. Um, We have daily discussions in the, in the platform. We have a weekly live call. We have a monthly rooting in sort of meditation call. And it's really a place where you can learn from and be in presence with other people who don't expect you to conform to harmful workplace standards. It's really a place where I think many people are feeling validated, like, you know, they, you know, it's okay to need a break or not always want to be productive or want more out of your working life than just a paycheck. And so it's a really beautiful, vibrant community. And I encourage you to join us if you're not already there. And you can do that at the link in the show notes. You can do it at awildnewwork.com, or you can download the app by visiting Mighty Networks, looking for the Mighty Networks app, and then searching for Cedar Lodge once you're in there. All right, with that, why don't I lead us through our opening invocation? So wherever you are, just sort of settling into your body, into whatever it is that you're doing, you may want to close your eyes or just take a couple of conscious breaths together. May each of us be blessed and emboldened to do the work we're meant to do on this planet. May our work honor our ancestors, known and unknown, and may it be in harmony with all creatures we share this earth with. I express gratitude for all of the technologies and gifts that have made this possible, and I'm grateful to the Cowlitz and Clackamas tribes, among many others, who are the original stewards of the land that I'm on. 
All right. Well, why don't I share some thoughts first about the sort of current season that we are in. So as I'm recording this, we are in the mid-spring, sort of height of spring season. We're moving into late spring, the transition away from spring into summer. And we're really being invited right now to actively soak in. It's sort of this interesting, like passive but active posture, really actively absorbing or receiving all of the beauty that's around us, the bird song, the colors, the scents. And by doing that, we become more deeply rooted into this present moment. You know, the sun is in the sign of Taurus right now, which is the second sign of the zodiac. It's an earth sign. It is fixed, which means it's in the middle of the season. It's um, stable, right? We're not transitioning into a season or out of one. And it's symbolized usually by this very heavy, large cow or bull. And Taurus to me is really about the willingness to slow down enough to be more established, to be more receptive and responsive from a place of stability, right? It's not this kind of manic like reactivity to everything that's happening around us. It's that sense of like pulling all of your energy into your center, into your core and responding from a place of stability, you know, and really noticing when you're there, what beauty is already here, you know, in this moment, what is available to me right now? What clues am I already getting about me, my purpose, about the other beings in my ecosystem and what they might need? Taurus really is about becoming wise, channeling all of the fire of Aries season of the early spring, channeling all of that energy of rebirth into a way of living that is sustainable and that creates beauty as a result of simply being present to what's here in this moment. And that requires slowing down enough to take conscious, intentional steps in our lives. And when we do that, we can then share our learning with others in a good way. And it doesn't always have to be like teaching or talking or, you know, you know, communicating about our learning. It's really about our presence. This can happen without words even. When we're in that very like aware, conscious place, our weight or our presence can be felt and add to the experience of others that we work with or live with. You know, showing up really clear and fully accepting of this moment is more powerful than we often think it is, but we sense it, right? You can sense when someone that you're in presence with, even on Zoom, (laughs) you can sense when that person is really awake to this moment, when they are invested in the relationship and what is happening right here, when they're open to the mystery of what's around and the learning that's happening. That is a really different presence and type of person to be with than someone who is, you know, mentally off in a different place, who might just be moving through, who's just trying to get by or tread water or is trying to actively like get something out of you, right? It's very different. So Taurus season is really an invitation, I think, for all of us to slow down enough to be conscious, really. It's very simple, but very, very powerful. And in two weeks on May 20th, the sun will move into the sign of Gemini, which is a mutable air sign that will take us from the spring into the early summer. The summer solstice is on or around June 20th. 
So this transition from Taurus to Gemini, from the earth sign to the air sign or air element is really um, palpable. You might feel it. And, you know, as you know, I work with the tarot and in the tarot, Taurus corresponds to the Hierophant archetype in the major arcana and Gemini corresponds to the lover's archetype in the major arcana. And I'll talk about these archetypes in a moment, but sort of going back to Taurus season, the Hierophant archetype is really about accepting our authority, kind of feeling that weight and presence. And again, being there enough that we imbue uh, the ecosystem that we're in with it, right? It's not about just sort of hoarding and kind of staying heavy and small and stagnant. It's really about like embodying wisdom and being a teacher, someone wise that people can learn from that, you know, honors the influence that you have over other people, whether you recognize it or not. And so we're moving from this very like stable teacher, influencer sort of sign. Oh God, influencer, not meaning like the Instagram (laughs) type of influencer, but someone with influence, which we all do, no matter what we do for work or how we feel about it. We're moving from that into this period of kind of levity and exchange, right? Where the lovers is all about what we're exchanging and learning from other people or other beings in the ecosystem that we're around. So in Gemini season, we kind of lift off from the earthy base of Taurus and go out to explore what other experiences are here, what other experiences are available to us. But rather than getting lost in the activity or swept up in everyone else's story, we take the learning, we explore, we get curious, and then we integrate what it is that we've found. You know, we can be out buzzing among all the various flowers and trees, seeing what's there and really enjoying it. But at the end of the day, bringing that back in, sitting at the seat of our inner teacher and only taking what really resonates with us and leaving behind the rest, right? So for Gemini to be as helpful as it can be, it is certainly a process of exploration and curiosity, but it's also about discernment and not taking on the things that don't really fit into our story or don't fit into our being and that don't resonate with us and staying open enough that we can expand our vistas and our perspectives, but not getting carried away in what everyone else thinks is the right way to do things or, you know, is fun. We don't think it's fun or or whatever, you know, there's a sense of like stability while also being out and exploring. So like I said, in Gemini season, we're really learning from the archetype of the lovers in the tarot. And in doing so, we learn how to see our own ingenuity and potential reflected back to us through the activity of the natural world, which of course includes other people. And this may be a time to sort of work through our envy, noticing where we get caught up in comparing ourselves to others and really asking whether or not there is information for us there. You know, what does that other person possess or emanate that I am hungry to give myself, right? Because so often our desire or our envy as it relates to other people is a clue about the medicine that we need to give ourselves first. And once we do that, once we kind of fill up with what it is that we are hungry for as much as we can on our own, then we can enter into relationships that are about mutual respect and exchange, not 
manipulation or extraction where I come into a relationship thinking like, I don't have what you have and I need what you have. And there's a sense of like desperation and being less than. So Taurus and Gemini have a lot to teach us about expertise and wisdom. And I'm going to pull on more of these threads as we go, but that's kind of an overview of where we are in the cycle of the seasons um, and a little bit about these archetypes that we're working with. I want to start by talking about expertise. And I'm laughing because expertise is something that I deeply crave. <laughs> um, I think often about getting a PhD, you know, and or should I get some big certificate? Do I need to, you know, drop 10 grand or whatever on a new program to develop expertise more and more? But as I work with this concept, I'm, I notice each time that it really has sticky undertones. Um, we live in a culture where expertise is held up and valued and often is seen as something that is only available to people who can afford, you know, to go get an education or, um, you know, who are interested in the sciences or rigorous intellect um, or academic lives. And so I want to bring some of these sticky undertones up to the surface just so that we can untangle some of it. What is helpful about the concept of expertise the ways that it can really benefit our lives is that it can be about mastery, right? Where we enter into a period of apprenticeship. We maybe, you know, the humble new beginner, we're learning something, we devote time and practice to something to become a master in it. And it makes total sense that we would crave this. I think it's part of being human that we want to master certain skills. We want to devote our energy and attention to, to learning how to be skilled, to, um, you know, overcoming obstacles, to whatever field of study it is, or, or the thing that we are practicing. It's so natural to want to develop expertise. And I think what gets wonky is that the way that we do that and what expertise looks like has become so narrow in this, in our cultural understanding of it. What is unhelpful about expertise is that in the context of capitalism, where we are, there is a sense of scarcity that imbues most of our lives, right? In the economic system of capitalism, you know, some resources are scarce, and so that's how they, you know, are valuable and why we need to exchange money for them. And the scarcer things appear to be, the more profit is usually made. So this sense of scarcity just kind of envelops a lot of our lives and especially this area or this concept of expertise. And in that context, expertise really becomes about the hoarding of information. It's about becoming powerful or having power over others. You know, if I can accumulate this much knowledge, um, if I can race to the top or become at the top of my field, then I will have, you know, power or be respected or be valued. And this may not be happening consciously, but it's certainly a cultural framework that exists in all of us at at some level. And you can think of this, you can see it in like a sense of like if you imagined a vast library, right, or um, patents or the competitive nature of academics, it really is all about this sense of 
scarcity, that information is scarce, that um, having knowledge and insights is something that I have to hoard and hold and keep away from others who are my competitors. It's really not this open exchange of learning and conversation that it needs to be. Of course, it is that sometimes. But in my own experience, when I'm really hungry for this sense of expertise, if I look under the surface a little bit, it's really the, it's really about me wanting to feel um, more respected and valued and like I have the time and, and attention to devote to something that I really love. And so my invitation to you is just to be really conscious of this idea and when you're hungry for that, you know, wanting to be viewed as an expert in something, just noticing kind of what the feeling or desire is underneath that. I want to turn now to talking about wisdom for a a little bit. And wisdom is really how we integrate and embody the expertise that we have. Bringing the knowledge that we've accumulated into real life, ensuring that it is benefiting the world around us. And the mythic journeys are such a good framework for this, right? In a mythic journey, the protagonist is challenged, they're awakened, they accept the call, they venture into the underworld, often with the help of a guide, and they return out of the underworld victorious in some way with something that benefits the rest of the realm, right? In a proper myth, in the sort of heroic or the heroine's journey, the protagonist doesn't come out of the underworld and just, you know, go back to their desk job, right? Like there is some kind of exchange and reciprocity. Something came out of it. Not that they have to have something to show, but there is something they've learned that they have integrated that is benefiting the community, the larger community in some way. We are so missing wisdom in this culture because not enough people are venturing into the underworld and cultivating wisdom as a result. We want to stay comfortable. We want to feel like, you know, we are the expert and we don't want the mess of becoming wise, of integrating it. And not only is there this lack of, I think, courage or willingness there are also, there aren't that many guides, to be honest, there aren't many people around us who have done their own work, who have taken their own heroic journey, and done the work of going deep, of struggling, of making sense of their pain and their obstacles. But you know, it's not enough to hoard knowledge or perpetuate these false narratives about the scarcity of information or insights. We really need to take it a step further and make something out of the expertise, use it to benefit the ecosystems that we are in. Wisdom is really about being in a healthy relationship with ourselves, with the ecosystems that we're a part of, so that expertise and other resources can flow freely, right? To be wise is to create a large enough channel for insights, resources to be shared generously, to be absorbed, you know, in ourselves, and but also to be shared with the people that we live and work with. And wisdom can't really be separated from this concept of elderhood, right? To be an elder, to be a good elder is to have lived experience and then to cultivate wisdom as a result of it, where you are you know, exchanging or returning wisdom to the community before you die, right? And, you know, both expertise and wisdom can be cultivated as you go in your career. You don't have to wait to become an elder at the end of your life. 
And of course, there are many people who have expertise in a field but have not become wise, right? Unfortunately, our youth-obsessed culture lacks people who have consciously chosen to become elders, but it also denigrates those elders who are already in our presence. So we're just so hungry. We need so badly the wisdom that is inherent in being human and inherent in the natural world. And all it takes really is beginning to see it and to cultivate it. So I want to start by sharing some thoughts about cultivating expertise, and then I will talk a little bit about cultivating wisdom from that. And again, I want to say that like the desire to become an expert in something is so natural. There's no judgment here if that is something that you hold. But I want to share some questions that might get you thinking about this in a larger way. I would ask you first, like, what information do you already have? What are you already an expert in? Right? You've lived this long. You've made it this far. You may not have, you know, degrees or certifications or whatever, but you are already an expert on your own life and career. No one else knows more about your experience than you do. Part of this work of cultivating healthy expertise, which, and this is where I've had to focus, is really on valuing our own inherent expertise first. Every time I look into getting a PhD or more education, I get signs or intuitive information that says that my work for now is on cultivating expertise around what's right in front of me, my inner dimensions, the natural world, the clients that I get to work with. So for you, it may really be about staying present with where you are and what learning is happening right now. Again, I think back to like Taurus and the Hierophant, this sense of like inner authority. Are you valuing the expertise that you already have? If not, you can much more easily get into this trap of thinking that everyone else knows more than you or that you need to go out and get a graduate degree to know what you need to know, which just isn't true. So if you need to cultivate that sense of inner authority, I encourage you to do that and really look at these questions. You know, what am I already an expert in? And is what I'm currently mastering, the work that you're currently embedded in, what you're practicing every day, is that what you would like to become a master in? You know, if you are learning and practicing the skills that you use right now, and if this, you know, was your sort of steady state for the next five years, what would be at the end of that? You know, what would you have mastered? Is that what you would like to master? And if you don't like it, you, the beauty of this time of year is that you can change it. Again, we're talking about Gemini here, which is a mutable air sign. There's this levity and exchange. Things can happen fast. We can move. We're not stuck or stagnant anywhere. And yes, that means there's the risk of getting swept up in everyone else's story and activity, but it can also be a really beautiful time of intentional movement and expansion of your perspectives and what's possible. You know, what flowers are all around you waiting to be explored? As Gemini season and late spring approach here, you know, where else would you like to take your attention? What are you curious about? You can really start small here and simply bring more of that into your life and cultivate a healthy sense of levity and movement. Expertise does take time, but it doesn't have to look like 
becoming an expert in one thing for your entire career. It can look like becoming an expert in multiple modalities or topics and then integrating those in a really um, expert-like way. There's a lot of pressure in our culture to be singularly focused in your career, which just is not for everyone and is actually just not for most people. So give yourself permission here to explore, to bump into new perspectives, to collect new pollen, to see what happens when you mix it all together. You know, it can be messy and creative here. If you crave further education or more traditional academic expertise, I invite you to simply be conscious of your reasons for looking into that or for doing it and really remembering that often what we're looking for first is to feel valued and respected. So can you drink that in for yourself first and then go into a program whole, you know, able to receive what that program offers rather than going in as if you were a problem to be fixed or don't deserve to be there or don't have anything to contribute, right? Those are two very different ways of going into a program and receiving or accumulating new knowledge. Now I want to talk about how to take that expertise and cultivate wisdom. And anyone can cultivate wisdom within themselves. It doesn't mean that you have to be older or that you have to have, you know, suffered tremendously throughout your life or that you have to be part of any spiritual tradition. This is available to anyone because wisdom is simply about being a conscious human. And I'm not going to pretend to have a lot of answers here or like a five-step process (laughs) to becoming wise. But I have been writing a course on this topic in Cedar Lodge, and so I've been thinking about it a lot. And some of the main threads that have come through are that cultivating wisdom requires three sort of big areas. One is that it requires time and space. So, you know, in our culture, we love the quick fix. We love, you know, the pill. We love the easy thing that we just go and buy or whatever to kind of cure our pain. And wisdom is just not fast. It's not um, without cost, really. And so it takes time and space to cultivate wisdom. And we have to allow that to happen. Otherwise, we're just cultivating, you know, shallow senses of expertise or insights. And so for you, that may look it could look any number of ways. It could mean time and space to, um, you know, get quiet and reflect on your day at the end of the day or in the mornings. It might mean, you know, taking a sabbatical. It might mean um, spending more time outside without your devices. It can be small or big, but it really requires a devotion to giving yourself time and space to integrate your experiences and your expertise, the knowledge that you're accumulating by virtue of just being human on this planet at this time in the world. Number two is that it really requires lived experience. The real learning, the real, you know, heart of things that we can bring in and and become wise as a result of being in relationship to are things that happen offline, right? It's the difference between reading a blog post about making a career change versus actually making it, right? To become wise requires the underworld journeys that are hard, 
but that are just part of growing and developing and that when done consciously which with support with a guide or with people around you who can hold space for you that lived experience is so rich for wisdom development you know a lot of us want the wisdom without putting in the work to get there and it's not always it doesn't mean that it's like a huge painful process and that we're constantly going through these like really difficult journeys but it does require a devotion to living in the depths sometimes and living in the mess and the mystery and unpacking you know the pain and the constructs that we have come into adulthood with um and it's not always easy but real wisdom and you can you can tell when there's someone talking about something that they have actually been through and integrated and unpacked themselves versus something that, um, you know, someone hasn't actually gone through or hasn't gotten into the heart of, right? We can tell when an experience is shallow and when the wisdom isn't really there. So I encourage you to really lean into, to swim in the lived experiences that might feel hard or scary or, you know, like too much, but that's really where the wisdom lies is on the other side of that and in the midst of that. And the third sort of overarching thing that I see as required of, you know, cultivating wisdom is really the consciousness to integrate what we've learned and really hold that up into our, to our inner light so that it can be shared with others. For me, you know, doing the underworld kind of darker, messy work that is so valuable and necessary that has been tremendously helped by being in supportive relationships with others, with my partner, my therapist, my business coach, and, and many others along this path. Our own wisdom is not cultivated in isolation. It's really cultivated in presence with others who can hold space for it and reflect it back to us. You know, in my world, I'm cultivating expertise or trying to, you know, in the areas of coaching, career development, ecology, other spiritual modalities. You know, these are the things that I study and I'm collecting insights into and I'm practicing them. I'm developing mastery in them. But without also cultivating wisdom, without taking the time and the space to experience life, to experience the struggles that are inherent in my own growth, and then kind of making sense of those experiences, without doing that in parallel to the expertise that I'm developing, I just can't be a strong guide or a good helper to my clients and others in this larger community. So in order to inhabit a dynamic, full career and life, we really need both. We need healthy expertise and we need to cultivate wisdom, which I think requires time and space. It requires courage to look at what's underneath the thing. And then it requires consciousness and uh, supportive relationships where we can, you know, come back heroic and victorious and offer something to the larger community. So I encourage you to just notice what being wise looks like to you, just mentally, what's your picture of it? What does being wise feel like in your body? You know, what would it look like for you to inhabit it even more to really embody wisdom? And how are you already becoming a wise, valued, respected elder, no matter what age you are? 
And what mountains do you need to climb and descend in order to really live a deep and conscious life? You know, these are big questions and the world is so hungry for your answers to them. (sighs) So that is what I have for you today, my friends. I hope this felt helpful. If it did, please consider sharing it with a friend or a coworker. A Wild New Work operates entirely by word of mouth. So your sharing, subscribing, reviews, and your referrals are so valuable and thank you for them. I will be back in two weeks with another recorded coaching session, just like the one that was in episode 43, which I hope you really enjoyed. And until then, take really good care and I'll be thinking of you and happy, happy spring.